0: What is up, guys? Welcome to the triage method podcast. This week, I'm joined uh, by Miss Shannon Beer. Uh, Shannon was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago with Paddy discussing some things more specific to um, nutrition and health in every size and concepts related to that. Um, So do go back and listen to that episode. In this episode, however, what we're going to do is, is probably a bit of a broader discussion around some of the things that we kind of just assume are well defined for us. And that is, you know, what does it actually mean to be healthy? What is health? You know, what are the things we should be thinking about when we're trying to pursue better health? Is it something that is actually a pursuit? Or is it just a case of removal of things or addition of things? These are all questions that I hope that we will will discuss in this episode of the podcast. But before we get there, Shannon, do you want to briefly introduce um, yourself, uh, your work, your background, et cetera? I know you're currently pursuing further studies and you're traveling around. So lots to to tell the audience about.
1: Um, Yeah, sure. Firstly, thank you for having me back on. Um, I am a nutrition coach so yes I kind of work online and travel around a bit as much as I can at the moment. I'm currently in Lisbon and I coach people one-on-one for just just helping people to improve their health you know from a nutrition perspective which could be weight loss, weight gain, weight maintenance, whatever it is. Um, But I also have recently started collaborating with um, Gabrielle Fundaro on comprehensive coaching so we. Taking a broader, I guess we'll touch on this with the, you know, the things that we're going to talk about in relation to health, but it's like it's a, um, a more comprehensive framework for coaching that incorporates like a number of skill sets to really help our clients flourish. So um, improving their health, but across different domains. So we have started a comprehensive coaching community, which is a Facebook group. We have recently done a webinar series. Um, So I've been focusing a lot on that this year, and as you say as well, I've also started um, some further studies, but I kind of have a a few doubts. I kind of might be changing my mind on a few things. Um, I would like to do a psychology conversion course. There's a lot that I want to study um, outside of academia as well, but yeah, that's kind of um I I guess a bit to touch on there but at the moment I'm studying um food nutrition and health at UCD because my scientific background is not recognized (laughs) unless it's formal so um yeah we'll we'll see where that goes but um yeah that's kind of me briefly in a nutshell
0: (laughs) yeah man the, the the your story about the um about like your lack of scientific background is something that actually frustrates me so much because I was just speaking with um I don't know if you know, you know, Catherine Gray, uh, you might have come across mm-hmm. her on Instagram yeah, you know, or know mm-hmm. of her. Uh, I was speaking with her uh, about a similar issue recently because she's trying to get into medicine. But like that, she has uh, a Bachelor of Arts, I think, as her as her background. But like like yourself, has been studying voraciously in the areas of nutrition science and areas related to science over the last couple of years, but is encountering all those barriers now because you need. A science undergrad you know so it, it is it is frustrating because you would assume that in a proper like meritocracy that all would matter that that would matter is that like you're competent enough to do the job not that you've got a bsc or a ba you know what does it really matter but anyway that's a, a topic for another podcast <laughs> uh, for the purpose of this podcast shannon what on earth does it mean to be healthy you know you're free to, to rant for as long as you want on this and we'll, we'll open up some tangents from there
1: yeah brilliant question so um, I've been thinking about this for a while because kind of, I guess health is sort of an abstract concept and when I work with people it's like you know I have these goals and why are these goals important to you oh I'd like to be healthy so kind of thinking about well what does it actually mean to be healthy then and I have come up with like a, a rough framework on the factors that can influence health but I do think ultimately that health is going to be determined by the individual. Um, but Briefly or broadly, I do think that health expands far beyond the physical domains. So we tend to think of health in terms of you know, our physical fitness or absence of disease, which I think is just one small part of what it means to be healthy. And I, I think the reason that this question is important is because the way that we define health will determine the way that we strive towards it. So it's really important to have like a clear um, idea of what we're aiming for. And I really like the concept of flourishing health, which I think is something that you're fairly familiar with too. And I came across this in a paper by Vanderville. I think he's, he's got a couple, um, one from 2017, one from 2019 on the concept of flourishing health. And it he has kind of five Well, six domains of health that um, make up this concept of flourishing health. So he's got happiness and life satisfaction, physical and mental health, meaning and purpose, character and virtue, close social relations and then um, financial and material stability as a means of securing the other five domains of health. And what to like, the word flourishing just means to grow and prosper across different domains of life. And that's kind of what I want for my clients. Like, yes, we're working on these like physique goals or performance goals, but why is that and for what purpose and how is this going to impact the rest of your life? and there's been you know a, a number of attempts to define health in the past like you've got the, the world health organizations their definition um which kind of included the the concept of psychological health which at the time was fairly um, revolutionary so their definition would be a state of um, complete physical mental and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease um so as i said, that. That recognition of mental health was revolutionary at the time, but it's still kind of insufficient. It doesn't quite capture um, all aspects of health. And then what do we mean by complete? You know, what does that mean? Rather than defining health as like a negative state. So we're saying, oh, it's the absence of something. Like we should also be considering the um, positive, like personal dimensions of health as well. Um, so I, I like to use like this kind of concept of health to inform the approaches that I'll take with a a client or even just the kind of questions I'll ask like again why is this important to you like what does an improved physical health look like but what does that allow you to do in your life so what would you do if you had more energy or if you felt more confident in yourself um how would that affect the rest of your life and I think as well if we're considering um, mental health emotional well-being social health as well then that again will inform the intervention because if for example someone is struggling to stick to a diet and they're, they're avoiding social situations because they feel like they can't go out there and you know um, eat the foods or they don't know what's on the menu so they don't want to go like that could be impacting their health which kind of defeats part of what you're trying to achieve like if the goal is to improve your health but then you're scared to socialize with your friends then it's like well is this really healthy at all um so i just think it's really important to actually have a think about what health means and what it means to you as an individual because as I say there's like different pathways and causal mechanisms that can influence our our physical health and our our psychological well-being but ultimately it's going to come down to what's really important for an individual and I think that's what we need to, to understand if we're going to try to improve our health.
0: Yeah, and 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 to come to circle back to that kind of concept of of physical health, I think that's actually something that's really important to ponder because even sometimes when you do see people trying to consider maybe some of the the psychological, the social, the cultural domains that kind of come together um, f- from a health perspective, what you often see is that they're only discussed as causal pathways to physical health. And so it's it's an interesting way to frame it because it's it's like. It's like we all we just we still always keep that assumption, even when we do broaden the conversation, that the eventual goal is to come back to just these very rigid kind of biomedical definitions of what it actually means to be healthy. And I think that if you actually think about what that means or how it manifests, like in the fitness industry, you see it sometimes where people will justify going outside or walking barefoot because there's some mechanism to do with maybe blue light and training circadian rhythms or whether maybe it's um, the the redox balance in by electrons coming from the ground into your feet and like these these pure speculative things like obviously there are good reasons to go outside for sure from a physical health perspective but it's it's just funny that we have to create and um, these kind of like biochemical, causal pathways to justify someone doing something that is so inherently human like going outside or even things like um like meditation or spending time with other people for social connection those things are, are never are never framed in terms of like being the end in and of itself that like, if I have good relationships, that's a good thing. It's very often coming back to the fact that, oh, if you have better relationships, you'll have lower levels of cortisol. And here's how cortisol affects muscle building or fat loss, you know? (laughs) So it almost always just drags back again to the physical health concept.
1: Yeah it's interesting because of course like these different domains of health are interrelated so like the things that affect our psychological well-being can have physiological effects in the body as well Mm -hmm. but again as you say like we always tend to to focus on physical health and I don't I think part of that reason might be because um, it's somewhat more visible and measurable than the other domains of health but and I think that's kind of a crucial point there because if we're thinking about improving health just from a physical health perspective then we're kind of trying to reduce like the complexity of health down to one thing that we can see and measure and the way that we tend to do that with coaching or just um, in general is using macros and body weight and if we're taking a broader um conceptualization of health you know thinking about health in terms of like flourishing health then to measure health purely through macros and body weight um, is epistemically flawed in my opinion so that kind of opens up the the question is like all right then i know that self-monitoring can be a crucial part of um, achieving a change especially in the initial stages so if i'm trying to achieve a health on a broader perspective then what how am I going to measure that you know what am I looking out for and what can I use maybe in addition to macros and body weight or as a substitution for that so that I'm not just focused on the physical health which is somewhat more objective somewhat more measurable and um, how am I going to open that up to actually consider other you know aspects of health as well but I do think we're, we're, we're just compelled to think about things in terms of physical health and I I think that's part of the reason why as I say it's kind of more measurable but I don't know what else you know there is to it.
0: Yeah and I think the thinking about the the trade-offs that one is willing to accept is actually something that's really important here because this is something that I do actually bring into discussions with clients very often and that is that you know you you don't have to have all of these domains perfect and almost always like you're not going to have them all perfect like if, for example, if you're if you're pursuing some sort of meaning and purpose, if you consider that domain of health, that may involve you being a very career driven person who works sixty to eighty hours a week. But you wake up each morning and you think, God, I can't I'm, I'm I can't wait to get after it today. I see re- I see purpose in what I'm doing. And if you're working 60 to 80 hours a week, yeah, there might be weeks where you're going to actually miss your exercise guidelines a little bit. There might be weeks where you're going to sleep a little bit less. And I think realizing that, that they're actually all coming into form, what it means to be healthy can actually help with those decisions. Because what I found, I'm not sure if you found this with some clients is that they might like. He'll read Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep or something like that. And suddenly they're so anxious going to bed because they're like, I'm not going to get eight hours. I'm not going to get eight hours. I'm, I'm going to get heart disease. I'm going to get cancer, <laughs> all these types of things, because that's all they're thinking about um, as it relates to their health, that, that there's this one causal pathway. It's like, all right, sleep. And here's the reason why it's going to harm my health. Therefore, there's no justification for missing sleep. However, if you were to frame it in terms of, well, I stayed up two hours later that evening because a friend came over who I hadn't seen in a while. And that actually made me feel great. Um, it's, it's a much broader way of looking at health. Do you, do you find people getting, getting anxious about those types of things in your coaching practice?
1: like for sure i think it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking oh crap that means i need to maximize like every aspect of my health but i don't think you need to optimize or maximize anything in order to be healthy overall it's more about how these things are um, operating together over a period of time as well so like you say staying up late for for one night or two or whatever because you're out spending time with your friends probably not the end of the world and if you were chronically sleep deprived that's kind of a different story and if you're Um, really pushing hard in your career or even your studies because you've got exam periods coming up, then you might kind of put more time and energy into those things for a period of time, but probably wouldn't want to leave your life that way because you might not have any friends to spend time with if you just ignored everyone because all you do is study, you know, Mm -hmm. for every day of your life. So I think there's definitely periods where certain aspects of your health will demand more attention and more energy from you but it probably will even out over time or at least that's something that we may want to um try and facilitate is not i wouldn't call it balance because as i say some things may be weighted more heavily than others but i just think some kind of congruence with all the different domains of health over a period of time that's what we're aiming for not necessarily to maximize or optimize every aspect at once because again I, i you know as you kind of think i don't really think that that's possible nor necessary either
0: and and with all that said has that has that changed the way you approach health or your own life in general in terms of the way that you actually live since you've been thinking about this stuff
1: yeah probably a lot more because of my um because of the way that I live like with traveling I think Mm -hmm. that um if I'm doing that then I have to be realistic about what I want to achieve and I also think spend a lot of time thinking about how exactly I want to spend my time like what's what, it, what am I doing and what's that giving me? So there are times where I'm like sleep deprived because I have to get up in the middle of the night to catch a flight. But that's something that I've accepted as part of the, you know, the way that I live. Um, there'll be times where I may end up you know, in pre-COVID world, I may have ended up on like an island somewhere, and it's not until we, I get to the island that I don't realize that there's no gym there. So, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to wait train this week, but I can do something else, and that's a compromise I've accepted because I've chosen that that's the way that I want to live my life, essentially. um And again, with spending time on things like meaning and purpose, you know, what what am I trying to do with my career? What what do I want to study? Well, this is giving me, what problems am I trying to solve, you know? And I could spend a fair bit of time putting a lot of time into reading and and education and then not feel like I want to go out and again, because the way that I have meet people, it's like a I have to I work on my own and I move around a lot. It's like, well, it's my it's my responsibility to go and meet people. That's something that I have to take time and energy out to do. And sometimes I will, and sometimes I'll be like, oh, I'd rather just like read these things that I have saved that I can't be asked today. You <laughs> know, like these are all kind of trade-offs that I make, but I I think having a clear understanding of what's important to you at any given moment can really help with making these decisions and helping you to become more flexible and adaptable. And I think that's a a crucial component of this as well. It's like, if you're understanding that, yeah, you don't need to necessarily optimize everything. um, It's very easy then to allow yourself to be a bit more flexible and adaptable with the way that you live your life. So if you're, um, really valuing social connections and for me like a sense of adventure and excitement like in that aspect and exploration those are things that are really important to me that could end up with me um for example, just use the example of when I was in Japan, I did a cooking class with um, with a teacher there, and then she messaged me and was like, do you want to go out for a meal? Like, we're all going out, do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, right then. Um, So I I was in Osaka and ended up going out for uh, this, like, yakiniku restaurant, which is just, like, meat that you cook um, in front of you. But it's like, we went out and then they were like are we going to a bar do you want to come and I was like yeah sure because I wouldn't go to it on my own because I don't know how to order anything in Japanese (laughs) so it's just like a really off-the-cuff um night and like I had no qualms about doing that even though my sleep was deprived like I probably ate a lot like Do you know what I mean? It's just like one of those things because that's what I realize that sense of adventure is important to me. And I'm not trying to tightly control my physical health, for example. Like that, if I was too caught up in physical health, I would be losing sight of these other things because sometimes what's good for you in one sense may not be optimal in another sense. So what's good for me psychologically, emotionally, socially, may not be the best thing for me physically in that moment in time. But again, when you even it out, over the course of time it's just like as long as you're moving in the direction of something that's important to you and not compromising too much on letting things slip for for a while then i think it kind of all evens out and i think that's really when you reach that state of flourishing it's just having these things working synergistically together but not necessarily focusing too much on any one thing at any given moment for a long period of time so i think definitely thinking about this is probably well, I'd say it's influenced the way that I live my life, but I also think the way that I live my life has influenced the way that I think about
0: health. So I think it works both yeah. ways. Yeah, it's for me. I find it kind of comforting sometimes, and I'm wondering: am I just trying to justify my own biases? Because I'm like, hey, Gary, you can <laughs> you can justify missing some sleep, uh, some nights, and drinking too much coffee and having some pizza because hey, yeah, because that
1: meaning <laughs> and health, and health is more. Is so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
0: all for the meaning and purpose. So it is. It is. It is obviously about, like you say, not necessarily trying to achieve balance but have some sort of congruence between the different domains um because it is fundamentally like i think of it as like that that intention to be healthier with within the framework of that definition is just like it's just like some sort of magnet and sometimes it will get pulled in other directions and you know that you will get pulled back because you know once you had that night out or whatever and you've had a few drinks and you've slept less it's not that much of a big deal because you're like well, I know how to eat well and what that means. And I know that my food choices will kind of come back to normal anyway. So it's not that big a deal. So it is just about having that intention rather than saying like having like a checklist of every single day, scoring yourself out of five in each domain, because I think that would be a very um, anxiety inducing eventually. Um, but yeah. What was
1: and... Well, the other thing is as well is like, so first we ask the question of what is health, but then like the the question that comes after that is, why should I care? Like why should achieving health be something that I strive towards? And so, you know, there's many ways to answer that question. It could be a case of, oh, I don't want to be a burden on the healthcare system. Um, I want to have energy to live my life and support my friends and family, like cool, um, awesome reasons. But then is optimizing physical health, for example, adding any more if that's your reason for doing things like does that really bring you any closer like if you are healthy enough and you have sufficient energy day to day what then does further improving your health add to that whereas if your health like for me I think personally the reason that I want to be healthy is to really kind of live my life in the best possible way and get the most out of it. And to me, that doesn't just mean having energy to be there for friends and family. It's like having a direction and you know, putting my energy towards meaningful things like we've kind of discussed or touched upon. So it's like, is spending an extra day in the gym, you know, if I'm doing four sessions a week, do I really need to do five? It's like that extra hour and a half or hour or so is taking time away from something else that I could be doing. And if it's not, if optimizing my physical health in that one extra session if even is doing that is adding anything more to my purpose behind being healthy in the first place like i think these are the kind of questions that we need to ask like why do i actually care about being healthy and like, again, there'll probably be a, a bunch of things that go into that. So think about what is health and then why do I care? Why do I want to be healthy? I think these are really the things that we should be thinking about and that can help determine the way that we live our lives. And I think that's the crucial thing there as well is because like health isn't just an on or off switch. It literally determines the way that you live your, your day-to-day. So I think it's important to get clear on you know what it means to you and why you even care in the first place.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think that like, if you take that World Health Organization definition literally like no one is healthy like you're you're just not healthy yeah. like how could you how could you ever achieve what do they call it a state of complete physical, mental and social well-being, the absence of any disease or infirmary. Like, I mean, what does that mean? Like, how how could you possibly say that you are completely um, well all of the time in in 2020? (laughs) Like, there's there are zero people I know who have been completely um, psychologically well throughout this year, throughout the pandemic. Um, Even when you think about the things like the role that big tech plays in your everyday life in terms of social media and how that can affect people's uh, mental health. Um, concerns about uh, the presidential election for example um, concerns about the rise of populism in Europe and all these different types of things that are actually in everyone's everyday life that undoubtedly affect your well-being like I don't think it's realistic to say that oh I'm never ever going to feel any sort of uh, deviation like I think that if you do feel like that you're probably just deluded or (laughs) not awake to what's happening in the real world you know
1: I actually think it's far healthier to um, think of it in terms of being, as I say, flexible, adaptable and resilient, because then we mm. are recognising that there will be um, I don't know, threats to our health. Where There will be moments where we don't feel completely healthy. And that probably is normal, as you say, like, when we think about the environment that we live in, it's pretty much to be expected that there will be times when um, we're not feeling 100%, whether it's, yeah, concern, uncertainty for the future, fear of what may happen. Um, That's just a sign that you have something to care about. And I think if we're focusing on being completely healthy, then one, we're probably misinterpreting what it means to be healthy. But also then, again, that kind of determines the way that you live like if you don't think it's normal to experience a bit of uncertainty distress um, whatever it may be then that becomes difficult to then try and work around and you you may see it as like something to solve whereas that's not necessarily the case and I think the more acceptance-based approaches can actually be quite beneficial in that sense like understanding the the situation for what it is and then doing what you can like rather than trying to get rid of that that uncertain feeling that you may be experiencing how about just accepting it for what it isn't and maybe like discussing it with people rather than thinking it's a problem that you face in isolation that needs to be fixed it's like well actually this is a normal experience and if we can like come together discuss our concerns um that's probably a healthier response than thinking oh this is something that's wrong you know it's a a fault of mine when actually it's just kind of part of the human experience
0: yeah you kind of end up thinking like how does everyone else live such so happily no one else has any concerns except me it's just me i'm the only one with the existential angst you know it's it's it's,
1: it's, (laughs) yeah and everyone internalizes their (laughs) own concerns it's like you're actually thinking the same thing but no one knows because nobody can talk about it
0: yeah exactly and and you actually mentioned a few times there um Related to another definition that uh, I can't remember what the name of the paper was, you might remember, but it was basically a proposal of the definition of health as being the I think it might have been brought up in the Vanderbilt paper, the ability to adapt and self manage and that that was actually one of the definitions proposed for health because it's quite simple. It's more open to interpretation, which might sound like a bad thing, but I actually think for something as non specific as health, I think it's actually a good thing. Like that ability to adapt and self manage, so that, like you said, if there is a threat to, your psychological well-being, for example, that you're able to say, you know, that's fine. I've got strategies to cope with that. I've got meaning and purpose to keep me you know, on the path. And I think that's a really nice way to, to think about it, because you can actually also apply that to um, the, the domain of, of physical health, the things we would typically think about, because, for example, the ability to adapt and self, self-manage could be, because you have a higher level of muscle mass that you've accrued over the years, that when you get sick with an infection in hospital, you're able to adapt to that because you have more of a physiological reserve remaining. And you could apply that to various disease states, which is, which is why I think it's nice and ties in very much with what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. I think that's um, really important. for First you say, like, different domains of health as well like physical psychological like you're thinking about um psychological flexibility the ability to adapt and i think self-manage is is quite important there too as well um and i i like the fact that it's open to interpretation because again i think it's important to be able to think broadly about some of these um topics and then you can still tie it to the specifics. so i don't know if you've come across um the somato psychosocial semiotic model of health mm-hmm. as yeah. well which i think um it, it has again like these different domains so this somatic obviously pertains to the physical body you've got the psychological which is kind of like your mental well-being um and educational health as well and then social health so that includes like where you live <clears throat> like your housing and infrastructure the environment that you live in as well as the people around you but it also has this semiotic component which has things like um your support problem solving um even like a sense of spirituality but it, it's your ability to make sense of things and i think that comes into adapting and self-managing is understanding what's going on and having that that meaning there and being able to respond to the situation in a way that favors you or the people around you i think that's a crucial component which i think we we try to help clients with when we're like educating them it's like okay here's the information that you need to make the choices that you want to make Um, but I also think part alongside the education it is really that self-awareness that I think feeds into that because that kind of determines your ability to make sense of things is understanding how it relates to you and your life and what it is again that you're trying to achieve and again for the people around you too so I think yeah having that understanding of the ability to adapt and self-manage it comes into our pursuit of health as well it's like what do I need to know then in order to self-manage I think again the educational component understanding how your actions may influence your physical psychological and all, all the rest of it um, but also having that clear um, understanding of why it's important to you I think that's the crucial part
0: Yeah, and you brought up something there that I wanted to actually segue on to. And that was, you mentioned the role of that spirituality could potentially play um, in that equation, because this is probably one of the areas that I probably had the, the biggest U-turn in terms of my thinking. Um, and I think I, I spoke to a lot of people who are in a similar position because I suppose to give to give some context, like when over over the years, like I would have always thought it was, you know, cool to watch like Christopher Hitchens doing the hitch slap, you know, and I, I love Christopher Hitchens. I think he's, he's a brilliant mind, but, you know, just watching the videos of like owning religious people. And I could never, like, even as a child, I was speaking about this recently. I always felt really uncomfortable with the concept of, religion um, even when i was young when i was in school and everything i always felt really uncomfortable with it because i genuinely looked around and i thought how are all of these people so stupid how how on earth could you believe that that there is a god and why do you do these rituals it always made it made me feel really really uncomfortable and i was in a i was actually in an orthodox church in in minsk in belarus about five years ago and um, I remember it was like a four-hour ceremony and I I just walked in and like walked out or whatever and I just remember seeing everyone like um, worshipping or whatever and I just remember feeling so uncomfortable with it and over the years as I've been exposed to thinkers of a different um, era of a different way of thinking I've totally changed the way that I think about religion because now I'm like Oh, I understand that I walk <laughs> with a god-shaped hole in my chest that is potentially compromising my well-being, whereas other people are able to dampen some of their concerns about, you know, what does it mean to die? You know, those things. Like I would love to. I was just talking to Kieran O'Regan or about this this week. That I would love to, for a day, spend, uh, to spend a day thinking that, oh, that when I die. That I'm actually going go to go to heaven and there's going to be something else afterwards rather than thinking... When I die, I'm going to decompose in the ground. The liquefactive process is going to take place. And that's me done. And everything I think and everything that I say to you, Shannon, that it's just a result of some sort of emergent property of neurons interacting. Like how de- how depressing is that? <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, have you, what, what do you, I'm not going to ask you a specific question, but what are your thoughts on that? Like the role of religion and stuff? Has, has your mind changed on anything like that over the years?
1: yeah 100 pretty much exactly what you said i've taken a complete kind of u-turn about the role of religion and spirituality and mm-hmm. what that means to us in like the modern day as well um and i guess it's not a, a a novel thought you've got the whole i guess it started with like the you know the whole enlightenment and then the, the god is dead like we realized, yeah okay then maybe the There are other explanations for things. But we, so I've I've actually just finished reading um, Considians, which would be a book that I'd recommend for you um, by Edward Wilson. And he had a line in it, which kind of sums this up perfectly um and it says like the essence of humanity's spiritual dilemma is that we evolved genetically to accept one truth and we discovered another so we discovered science which kind of left this empty hole in our lives because we're like oh, okay there is no divine purpose there is no you know there's nothing else to what we have other than this but we have like symbol forming minds that need um we need like consolation from, from from grief we need explanations for the unexplainable and this is you know rooted in our psychology and our biology like that we just need that is something as part of being human but then we don't have an answer for that now that we know more about the way that the world works um and I think that's kind of a huge crisis that we're facing right now is like, oh shit, where does this leave us then? Because, I, you know, I'm not going to uh, worship necessarily something that I don't believe in, but at the same time, like we we crave a, a sense of purpose. Like we need that to be able to make sense of the world and to be able to explain things that maybe don't have there's no reason behind. And I think if we're thinking about humans. In terms of like if it's part of our human nature to that we're compelled to find an answer for these things, you know, like what is the point, you know what, how do we fill this hole, it doesn't necessarily matter if that's just something that is a property of of being human like it doesn't matter if there's no kind of objective meaning or purpose. Mm If, if, it is, if that subjective thing is very real, because it's still real, right? Um, and I was recently listening to um, a conversation between Tim Freak and, and Daniel Schmachtenberger, and about kind of the, the hole that, that science has left um, in that respect. And um, Daniel said that the something that I would agree with is that the philosophy of science is an inadequate epistemology for understanding the real. So it's a way of understanding the objective reality, you know, that our closest approximation to what um, is going on in the world. But that's not to be conflated with the whole and the real. So the objective reality of the world is just a subset of what is real. So that kind of opens up then to what does it mean to be spiritual in you know the modern world where we understand science and again we don't necessarily have a way of explaining this need to have a sense of meaning and to be able to make um or have explanations for these things that are unexplainable. I think understanding that there are limitations to science and what it can do for us so if it's just a tool to um you know, try and understand the objective reality of the world, it doesn't tell us what to do with that understanding, you know, or, or why we should care, what should we look into. And how does that n- new understanding determine the way that we act and the way that we behave in the world? So science is an, an important part of that. It's a necessary part, but it's not sufficient. And when you look at the literature on the relationship between like spirituality and health, um, we actually see like a, a positive relationship there. And it comes down to things like faith optimism resilience these are all kind of important things that influence our physical and our psychological health but where do we get those things from and having a sense of community like that's a really important component of religion um so if we're if we're not religious and we're not spiritual are we still are there other ways that we can get that, that sense of community and to have that faith, to have that optimism? And I think that's quite a difficult question. Um, I'm currently reading a couple of books on this topic. So I've got Myths to Live By by Joseph Campbell and The Varieties of Religious Experience by William James, which is a, a psychological study of religion. So I'm trying to ask that question now. Yeah. <laughs> Given that I'm not religious, how do I find? like there, there is? It's clearly serving a function in people's lives why do people um you know pray to to a higher purpose why what does that give someone it doesn't matter whether or not they're correct you know objectively right or wrong in believing in certain things it's about understanding what is the purpose of that and what does that offer someone and then how do we reconcile that with our understanding of science i think yeah that's definitely something as you said that you know has been overlooked i know that i've overlooked it in the past or even looked down upon these people yeah, and now i'm yeah. like ah oh, they were onto something let me just figure out what that was
0: <laughs> yeah and and I, th- I was actually speaking with a, a priest about this about about two years ago um he's actually he's the funniest guy because he's he's like i think he's from norway and he's like he's like your classic like gigantic Norwegian powerlifter type person with a big beard and shouts when he deadlifts and stuff but he's a priest so he's such an interesting character and I was actually speaking with him about um I was speaking with him about my experience with like listening to like Jordan Peterson's lectures and stuff like that and how it just kind of changed the way I thought about religion um and and he was he was taking me back to I, I was asking him you know what what made you um become so religious why did you why did you go down this path as a priest? And he was saying that initially what happened was there was a he was in a, a car crash and he survived and his wife died or whatever. Uh yeah, she died. And then he went he went on to basically, you know, he said that he had experiences with God, whatever enlightening moments he had. And he said that this was his path, that he needed to, you know, go and teach the word of the Lord, as he says. Um, But yeah, I, I still, even, even having conversations with someone like that, when they're, when they're genuinely thinking like, like this was a very objective experience that I saw God, I spoke to God, even now, it still makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I'm like, yeah, I understand. I understand what you mean, but you actually mean it very literally. Whereas I'm interpreting what you say, Metaphorically, which is actually something that I think is still a problem, because it, as as a an, an atheistic or like agnostic, gnostic, whatever you want, whatever box you want to put yourself into you're still you're still trying to go back and reinterpret those things through the lens of science, through the lens of n- knowing or thinking that there doesn't happen to be a God. So you can still never actually replicate the experiences that those people are describing um, because the literal and the metaphorical interpretations are different. So that's why I say that I would love to walk the path in the shoes of someone who was, truly spiritual and was truly religious um so that i could could kind of have those experiences um but yeah it it is interesting because you can go back and you can try to interpret those things through the lens of science and say what happens with functional mri or something like that when someone has a religious experience but again we're still missing the forest for the trees there because we're still just trying to to look at something that we can correlate to the experience rather than accepting it like for what it is as some sort of, I don't know, real or meta real experience that someone is having.
1: I I think there might be a way of reconciling that. Um, Even if it's something that, you know, we will never believe in like objectively that there is a God or whatever. I think there can still be a way of reconciling that scientific understanding with the the purpose of religion and what that feels like because if we understand again like the limitations of science Mm -hmm. so yeah science can can tell me that uh, my amygdala lights up when I'm scared of something but it doesn't tell me what that fear feels like what it actually feels like to be scared so that then is like a limitation of science but that feeling is still very real so can we still get that feeling of the religious experience with a scientific understanding? And I, I think there is scope for that. Again, it's not a question I have an answer to right now. Um, probably may not have a, have a certain answer to either, um, but it's definitely something that I think can be explored. Because again, what is it that people are, are getting out of this and how is that making them feel? And I think we, we can find aren't at least have some answers to that question and if we're thinking about again the the we've got a good sense or we're trying to get a sense of the objective uh, reality of the world but then to ask the question of what can we do with that and how should that turn and how i behave i think is something that you can still explore and it's not something you're necessarily going to look to science for to answer those questions, right? This is when people turn to philosophy, or when they turn to religion, is to give them these guiding principles or just insights into how they they would like to live. I think these are things that we can do. You know, we can put these understandings into practice. We can develop like a, a strong moral compass. You know, guiding ethical principles that we want to live by, mm-hmm. and we can then put those into to place with how we interact with other people and how we operate in the world. And I think that is kind of edging closer to those religious or spiritual experiences, but we still we actually utilize it. We can utilize science to move us towards that as well. Like they don't have to be two um, competing things. I think there can be congruence there because if we've got a, a better understanding of the world, then surely that should enhance our ability to answer the question of what should we do with that understanding you know like it's very difficult to try and ask the question of how should I behave if you don't understand the world that you live in so I think it serves I think science is a tool for maybe serving that question um but it's not a it's not sufficient it's not enough in and of itself so we still need to kind of ask ourselves these other questions too and again that could come down to um understanding myths you know why do we have these repeating myths in different cultures over time that kind of persist you know what what is it that's common about those things and where does that come from and what function do those myths serve and I think having a little sense of um things that you know a little sense of wonder um things that can't be explained necessarily I don't think that has to make you less scientific I think that's a kind of common misconception there and I actually think that sense of wonder that curiosity can enhance our scientific understanding that's how we create hypotheses isn't it
0: anyway yeah yeah and it's actually something I I just I I struggle with when I think about like the future of humanity and we won't solve this problem on (laughs) on this podcast (laughs) as much as we'd like to Uh, but it's the fact that um, science is very much like what science does really well is is produces and is tells us what is but it doesn't you can't derive the ought from that without knowing what you're actually aiming at and that's a difficult thing it's like what what do we all agree on and when we say all you know you might say that okay in in the west if you will we mostly agree on these things but does everyone and are we all going to aim at that and what about other other uh, populations um, of the planet do they agree with everything that we're saying um because if we're going to move the earth like for example <laughs> Yeah, I was reading about Elon Musk last night that he's he's he was talking about the laws that will apply on Mars <laughs> like basically saying that SpaceX will create their own laws for the way that Mars will run which is just a really funny way of thinking about where we're going. Um but yeah, I just think that that question of like are are we all in agreement with what we're aiming at? That's actually something that that's really difficult to establish. Um on a scientific basis, like you can't get all close to 8 billion people together to ask them what we should all aim at. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a difficult one because if you have very large portions of the world's population who still, um, are very much, um, true believers of their God, of the mission that they've been set out by their theological doctrines, etc., Um, and then you've got the other, uh, other parts of the population that are saying, well, we're going in this direction because we're concerned about the environment and we're concerned about the future of humanity. And we think that we should move in this direction because they're actually very difficult things to, to reconcile. But, um, I won't ask you how we do that because I don't think we, we know how we, how we will do that or where we will be in 500 years. Um, but yeah, no, there was something else I wanted to bring up on that topic. Um, uh, no, I don't know. Um, oh yeah, that's the, that's what I was going to say is that, like this is something I think I I heard Douglas Murray discuss this initially, but I don't think he's the first person to use this phrase. I think it might have been Roger Scruton, I'm not sure. Um, but basically talking about that God-shaped hole in your chest that all of us have in some way a God-shaped hole in our chest, because the human like we all as humans have the desire to explain the world, to explain like why we're here, what we're trying to achieve, what happens after we die, etc. And I think it's interesting to think about what is filling your personal God-shaped hole? You know, is it just the strict pursuit of your career, for example, or is it, I don't know, your family, your kids, or is it uh, social justice, for example? I think that that is something you'll actually see filling the um, God-shaped hole of many people's chests these days where, every single event is reinterpreted through the lens of like social justice and intersectionality. And in some cases that can be a positive thing. And in some cases it can be very, very divisive, I think. Um, But further to that point, um, what was I going to say? Oh yes, healthism. This is what I wanted to bring into the conversation. I'm not sure if you've heard the the term healthism. I think it was initially coined by Richard Crawford in 1980 in some paper. Um, But basically this this over preoccupation with um health in every domain of life. and you know it's it's I was, I was speaking about it earlier in the week, and I was saying that like if you if you wake up in the morning and the first thing you think about is, how do I do something to better my health? So you're thinking about your breakfast, let's say, and your breakfast, every everything in the breakfast is oriented not towards the taste experience or anything like that. It's it's does this make me healthier or less healthy? And then you go outside and you meditate in the air because um, cortisol reduces and the HPA access, etc. And this is your reason. And then on your way to work, I don't know, you're listening to the Triage Method podcast where they're talking about health, and then at work, Um, you're a personal trainer and you love uh, lifting weights uh, for your clients to set up their their exercises because again that's exercise blah 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 you do that all the way through the day until you get to the evening and then you've got your evening wind down routine which again is oriented towards enhancing sleep um, affecting melatonin secretion etc every decision in your life is guided by health, like that healthism, and that is filling that God shaped hole, because your whole life is oriented towards like that physical health as the end, not as a means to anything, but as the end in and of itself. And something that's interesting is obviously, we see that emerge in the personal training world and the fitness sphere. But it was. I was actually reading up about this topic as I was waiting to discuss it with you. And as as always, um, I think as we've mentioned uh, in, in in DMs to each other, Trisha Trisha Greenhalgh has written about this. <laughs> she's written about literally everything. Yeah, she's written about everything. And uh, that's Doctor Trisha Green Greenhalgh, Greenhalgh. For people who don't know her, um, she's a, a GP from the from the UK and a researcher. Um, but yeah, has basically written about absolutely everything. And she wrote a paper in 2004 that was. Um, dedicated to this idea of healthism and how it's this kind of phenomenon that you see primarily emerging among like middle-class people who are generally more educated and they have more choice and and they it's, it's basically just this whole idea that you know everything wants needs to be natural and every single decision needs to be supported by certain health behaviors and she actually has here Um, she does a table that I took out from the paper, the demographic, the attitudes and the behavioral behavioral characteristics of healthism. And what else does she say? Vocal and articulate. They consume food supplements. They're concerned about unnatural substances, higher degree of consumer choice, et cetera. Um, and that all of these things, she actually goes through a number of case studies where, um, this lady, she has a child. And from the moment, the, from the moment she's pregnant, Every single decision that is made is based on, um, I don't know, the removal of toxins from her diet. And um, what else does she have in there? Meditation and things that different, um, different, just weird kind of pseudoscientific things that are supposed to make birth easier. And she has a natural birth. And afterwards, she's not going to give the child a vaccine and the child's on a vegan diet, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but the whole point being that almost every domain of life is absolutely consumed by whether or not it adds to or detracts from health, which I think is I, i'm not sure if I actually have a question I just think it's it's interesting and and have you seen i guess these these examples of healthism emerging in in your world?
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%. Again, when people come to work together to improve their health, then it's very easy to develop a preoccupation with, you know, health being the, the primary focus of your life. And I think this, you know, comes back around to that question, is why do I care about he- being healthy in the first place? Like, yeah, it's important, but how important is it? And what else is important? And how does that, you know, do these things conflict? Because if we're chasing health just for, as you said, it, it means... To an, or in and of itself like what what are we doing this for and it's very interesting to note um the types of characteristics of the type of people who you know fall into that trap and I think that again I don't think it's like a personal failing I think it's just no. an understanding of you know like the society that we live in and the way that it um this is actually tied into a book called the wellness syndrome which I think is really worth reading and it's uh, along a similar line about how we're kind of you know, with the rise of like fitness trackers and corporate wellness programs, how we're conditioned to believe or fall into the trap of believing that optimizing our physical health is a way of improving our social standing or improving our performance at work, you know, um, and having like these, these step targets to reach, taking these, drinking these juices and these smoothies and um, as you say optimizing your sleep routine for what end why like for, for what purpose how is this serving me or how is it serving the other people in my life and I think it's again um, in the wellness syndrome they um, kind of attribute that to capitalism just like the the world that we're living in China, yeah, operate or trying to improve yourself as a a worker and how you know your physical optimizing your physical health can increase productivity and you'll earn more money and be more successful if you could just be healthier and um it's very interesting because if you went to again like these these third world countries or if you're experiencing a crisis like are you in the middle of, of a crisis looking in the mirror like flexing your abs <laughs> like when mm-hmm. other shit's going on like it, it it makes a lot of sense how we kind of take a myopic view on things but I think that really detracts from other things that are important I think that's probably why I care about this a lot is because I'm thinking you know what does this mean if someone's preoccupied with their appearance or if someone's preoccupied with macro tracking and counting calories like know obsessively to a point where it does detriment you know other aspects of their life like what does that mean then what are they not seeing if that's all they can see what are they missing and i think those things are um the really important things to consider so yeah falling into the trap of just optimizing your health for the sake of it i think you're, you're you could potentially be risking missing out on the bigger picture and then who's left to answer those kind of questions about you know what do we do in in the world where there's people like there's school kids who aren't getting fit now who's going to care about that if we're all too busy obsessing about our own health and like flexing in the mirror and like I say spending too much time on my fitness pal then what, what about all these other concerns if you're too tied up in your own personal health and you know your own personal life then what about the the broader aspects of that or what about everyone else who doesn't have the opportunity to even consider their own health right if someone's just trying to survive just needs some food to live they don't even have the opportunity to improve their health because they're just trying to stay alive and if we're all wrapped up in our own individual health what who's going to help people like that you know and I think those are kind of the, the questions that that I think are worth thinking about and it's said it's not a it's not an individual failing to be concerned about these things and it makes total sense when you you know understand like the roots of of these concerns but I think if we're in a position where we have the privilege and the opportunity to even consider optimizing our health then again to what ends like what am I going to do with that and I think one one potential route could be to help those people that don't even have that opportunity in the first place. I, that's just a, a very um, random way of answering that question but it's just yeah, no no I, th-
0: I think you're dead r- I think you're dead right I think it I think it's fundamentally like you know just another branch of of consumerism um fundamentally like that you know that you can basically create a commodity out of out of anything you know that if someone if we, if we have more information about what it means to be healthy um and we know that people um have achieved Karl marx's dream of people now having more leisure time you know if you're a member of the middle class and you work your I don't know, 35 hours a week, maybe 30 hours a week, more some people work part-time that you've got all this leisure time. And if within your social circle, we create an environment in which um, the, 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 the act of being healthy, um, the beha- health behaviors themselves, um, the removal of natural or unnatural products, etc., and consuming things as naturally as possible. That all these things become values within your social circle. Then again, the the market is just there to satisfy to satisfy you. You know, and you you see this all the time in the way that um, our our generation and people older than us, uh, the types of foods that we consume. And that the there's there's a classic example of some some guy. Who starts talking about his daily routine, where you know he wakes up and he has um, activated almonds that he's soaked, and then you have like all these different types of herbs and spices and special teas, etc. Um, it's almost like you just take the things that look romantic from other cultures, like oh look at this cool Eastern tea and this aspect of Chinese medicine, etc. And they're just fed um, through the the consumerist uh, treadmill of the West to willing consumers who want to have some sort of some sort of status, you know, um, it's, you know, people do do yoga, not necessarily a lot of people do yoga, because again, it's kind of like a status symbol. It's like, yeah, I'm a I'm a vegan who does yoga like that's me. That's my tribe. We're those kind of kinds of people. And fundamentally, it's, it's like signaling within certain classes of society, which I think is is just interesting to ponder like why do you do what you do why do you where did you derive your values from and because it's not to say that yoga cannot be beneficial or that there's anything wrong with being vegan but it's, it's just funny how they emerge as these kind of uh these class phenomena um a lot of the time
1: yeah and that's that's a really important question like what again with the the signaling why what are we trying to signal and why like are we trying to usually it's like oh we want to fit in with people so we value that connection and that safety and that security so that's that's reasonable right that we do that or that we want these things but then what are we doing to achieve those things if you're going to to yoga just as a to improve your status, it's like, or are there other ways of securing that connection that is actually what you're seeking? You know, and then we can relate this back to our um the things that we do to improve our health. Like, is that necessary for achieving the ends that you're actually trying to achieve? So if you want that social connection and that safety and that security, is that really gonna come from having um apps you know is is that what because that's kind of the trap that people fall into like, oh I need to improve myself because I'm always striving to be better and I'm like yeah that's a great quality but what are you striving towards and it's the thing that you're you know the, the thing that you're striving towards actually serving what you're trying to get out of that um so that can really inform the way that you then go about setting goals you know and then how what you do to, to achieve those goals so I think introspection and having a sense of like your values are two things that are really important and again it seems quite abstract but it really does relate to your health because if health is something that emerges from the way that you live your life well, then having an understanding of your values is going to be important to determine how you should live your life and introspecting is the way that we kind of get to that point because there are like a number of influences as we've discussed um with the environment that we live in that we're pushed to towards these things like yes i i should be improving my health i should be optimizing things surely that's the thing to do i want to achieve financial success i want to have a bunch of friends i want to be successful it's like why <laughs> we're, we're so conditioned to think these things and Again, understandably so, but I think we have to take a step back and ask ourselves these questions. And the only way to do that, I think, is just again to have those those times where you do introspect and think about what's really important to you and whether the things that you're doing actually achieve the thing that you're trying to achieve. So yeah, if you if you want, if you're trying to fill a hole with your fitness endeavors what hole are you trying to fill and how else can you fill that hole? So it's not about saying oh we shouldn't care we shouldn't train no of course we can still do these things and they offer a bunch of benefits but what else can we do in addition to that to really fill that hole because if the, the fitness is the only thing that you've got going on then it, it's likely to be insufficient to fill that gap that you're trying to fill i think we may need more you know in addition to that
0: yeah. And I mean, the, the signaling exists in in multiple forms and fundamentally, like all of us signal in some way, you know, in the, in the things that we do, whether it's the clothes that you wear, the language that you use, the way that you structure your Instagram bio, the photos you take, all of those things are, are in some way signaling like, hey, I, I'm one of these types of people you know yeah, this if is
1: it, what I care about yeah this is
0: this what, is what, what I care about look this is me this is what you're getting these are the main things and it's just funny how you see it on polar opposite sides of the spectrum like if you go to a lot of um, vegans on Instagram they'll have the little vegan like logo thing it's like a little a little leaf plant thing um, and then you know they might have whatever other interests so they'll, they'll signal a lot of things related to the fact that you know I'm a vegan come here this is a safe space for vegans it's like cool All right, but. People will mock that. But simultaneously, if you go on to any of the carnivores pages, they're even funnier because they, I'm not sure if you've seen it, they put the little copyright C in their name. <laughs> to indicate that they're a carnivore, and uh, they also have you know the steak emoji in every single post, again signaling like, yeah, I'm part of the tribe, you know. And very often that comes along with things like um that, you know, I'm I'm, I'm going back to nature, and they'll have photos of lions and stuff, and it's like, whoa, dude, like you're cool, man. Like, look at you, you, you lion, you. <laughs> it's just again, it's just signaling to the to the same types of people, and and what you'll often find is that, which I think is fascinating, is that those dietary ideologies are very much, they're not a lot of the time, they're not just nutrition decisions. They're much, much broader things. Like a lot of the time, if you go to people who are in the kind of low carb, keto carnivore space, you'll find that they also will be the types of people. And there's, there's a lot of people now who are, you know, completely anti COVID think that the COVID, the whole COVID situation is just a government strategy um, to mass vaccinate everyone. And in, 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 insert chips etc um and and what it comes along with all these other sort of kind of conspiracy beliefs that you know and Keys has been was uh, was brought in to just get re- get us all eating carbs and eating sugar and making us sick and stopping us from eating saturated fat, which is the real um, key to health, etc. And there are these clusters of beliefs that exist together and that they don't exist in a vacuum. And all those things, for me, when I look at them, I'm like, that is filling some sort of God-shaped hole because you're finding some way that very clearly explains. The world that we live in you know that there's this whole conspiracy that's going on and for the record like conspiracies can be true as well (laughs) just i'm not one of those people who think they never happen they they absolutely do and power corrupts but with that said um again it's an attempt for people to try to explain the world around them and if you can create a situation in which all the structures of power and all the institutions of your society if you say that they're all corrupt and they're all designed to make my life worse then now you 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 almost don't have to take responsibility for anything in your life anymore either, because you're like, well, everything else is corrupt. So, you know, that's that's me. Here's my explanation of the world. And it's real comfortable because certainty is nice. Like, it's nice to feel like um, I would be healthy if it wasn't for, I don't know, the special toxin or preservative that they put in my food. You know, that's the reason that everyone's unhealthy. It's much harder to come to the realization that, the reason that health has been affected, let's say, with the with cardiometabolic disease, for example, is for very, very complex reasons related to the economic, the economic system, um, inequality, um, the marketing, for example, and all these different things that are coming together to fundamentally create a situation where our environment is totally discordant with the evolutionary apparatus that we've been given. And that's really, really hard because there's no simple way. Like I can't just turn around and say, everyone just eat meat or everyone just take meat out of your diets and you'll be healthy. Instead, it's like, yeah, I don't know. There has to be some complex solutions, but I can't explain this one away very simply, you know?
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think you've kind of alluded to the fact that we all signal to some extent and we all try and make sense of things to some extent and whether that's, you know, leading us into these ideological circles or, or whatever, that there's a reason for it. And if you understand that you're, again, you're, you're going to try and have the come up with these reasons on your own. Um, like these, these platforms kind of invite us to signal, right? If you, you've you got an Instagram, someone's going to see whatever's on your page. You're going to see your bio. It's like, what are you going to put on there then? And so we're, we're always exposed and we're always presenting ourselves. So understanding that that's kind of probably something that you're going to do, I think then even makes that question of why do I care what's important to me, blah, 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 is, it's even more important because these are natural like, tendencies that we have, you know, we want to be, we want groups, we want safety, we want security, and we, we do signal, so making sure that I think you've really thought about these things, um, what you want to present and what's important to you it all circles back to that and yeah like understanding I think another component of this is actually having like empathy for other people like we are we can laugh at people who, who go vegan to, to join a group we can laugh at the you know people who um take up a carnival diet but it's like why have they gone down that route? Why do they believe this? You know, again, it's it's always serving some sort of purpose and function for them. Like, again, yeah, maybe they don't actually care about being carnivore, but they found a group of people that they can share something in common with. And that kind of provides them with a sense of security. Maybe it has nothing to do with the food, you yeah. know, maybe it has nothing to do with improving their health. Or maybe they do genuinely believe that. So, okay, so why do they believe that then? Maybe they've been fed this information that probably sounds fairly scientific, it sounds reasonable, and they don't necessarily have the the critical thinking skills to be able to navigate that information for themselves and make sense of things themselves. Like, we're Part of this is understanding that um, be- belief, is motivated by something so and that's not necessarily just the truth like we like to believe things that already align with things that we think are correct and we discount information that disconfirms our beliefs and the belief in and of itself has a, a value just simply holding a belief has is valuable to us so again having that understanding I think is really important when it comes to again figuring out why people believe the things that they do it's like oh actually there's something there they're trying to gain something from it and then you can start to use that understanding to question your own beliefs like why do I want this to be true why do I want health to be the answer to this god-shaped (laughs) hole you know and is that really is that really the case um so yeah just thinking about these things like what is health Doing for you? Why do you care? What hole are you trying to fill? What other things can you fill that hole with? How do you relate to other people who may have different ideas to you? How do we understand why people come to the conclusions that they come to? Um, these are all questions that have kind of spurred out of that that initial question what does it mean to be healthy? It's yeah. like, oh, you know, think about all these things. So I think if we're understanding health as, you know, the way that we're living our lives. All of these things are related and they're all questions worth pondering, I think. And that helps you to make sense of yourself, helps you to make sense of other people, the world that you live in, and then the way that you relate to other people and the world that you live in. And consequently, the way that you should behave and what you should even pursue, whether that's improving your health or not, like understanding the function that each behavior is, is serving. You know, what what is yeah, what is it serving? What are you trying to achieve with that?
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely huge. I think that any you observe something that you you think is absurd or stupid or whatever, it should never that should never be an isolated observation. What it should be is a prompt for self-reflection. Like I think that is incredibly important because like you said, you have to be empathetic towards the fact that people come to their beliefs for some sort of reason. There's some sort of motivation and I think to assume that stupidity is the answer or to assume that malice is the answer that someone is trying to be malevolent. Like I think that's, it's probably a bit reductionistic and self-serving because it assumes that you're on the right side of truth. And that's the dangerous aspect of it. And I, I was just speaking about this recently um, as it relates to the like people, again, in these kind of nutritional ideological camps. Like, let's say you are someone who is on a carnivore diet or you believe that it's the, the cure to everything. Like, I can completely appreciate how someone, particularly if you don't have much like training in science or medicine or whatever, that you would come to that belief. Because fundamentally, the way that social media works is that I encounter this information I like this information. It seems appealing. Um, So maybe I start modifying my behavior. And then I get all this positive reinforcement from people who have the same beliefs as me, but not just people, also from the algorithms of social media that keep feeding me more information that confirms what I already believe. So for that individual... When they look at the landscape of the health information that they consume, it's already in line with what they believe. You know, I know that now, like there are like interventions from social media companies to say, you know, if you want the truth about this, visit this website or whatever. But for the most part, you're still often being reinforced with information that already confirms um, your beliefs. Like if I go on my Twitter recommendations, because I primarily go on Twitter to like observe the kind of low carb keto carnivore community. Like I just follow so much of their shit. Like so much of my recommendations are people with like stakes in their Instagram bio or in their Twitter bios, because that's what I consume. And if I was not someone who was willing to, or able to critically analyze the information that was being presented to me, I can very easily see how someone would fall down into this path. So for me, it's not a case of saying, all right, all these people are stupid. Like I do definitely look down on people who are the thought leaders in those communities, like Paul Saladino, et cetera, because I think they are charlatans, but the individuals following them not necessarily. Um, But for me, what it does is it, it causes me to ask one, like, what, what am I signaling on my social media? So when I, when people come to, to my page, like, what are they thinking? Like what box or category of person will they put me into? And that's actually something I've deliberately reflected on for a long time. And it's the reason that like in my personal bio, it just says, um, health science and philosophy, because like, what does that mean? You know, it's like, okay, there, it's, you said health, but I mean, I don't know what your dietary ideology is. I don't know how you train, you know, I don't know what your degrees or education is it's just like this open-ended thing and that that's what I would say to people is that I think if you can if you if your ideology is an open-ended meme rather than a closed meme i think that's really helpful because that's fundamentally what like one if we think about health we've clearly made a mess in this conversation of saying that jesus health is kind of complicated (laughs) um when we talk about science science is fundamentally a method of inquiry not a specific body of fixed knowledge so it again it's open-ended and then philosophy is very much a similar thing it's 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 a process of of questioning things and trying to dig down to the roots of things and asking you know why do we believe this etc etc so all of those things are open-ended and it doesn't put me um, into a box because it means that, oh yeah, my beliefs are probably going to chop and change and they'll be all over the place. And maybe someone would say that I'm closer to maybe the vegan side on this issue, but maybe the carnivore side on this issue or whatever it happens to be. And I think that that open meme allows you more freedom and flexibility in terms of even the way that you think, because it means that I don't have to constantly experience cognitive dissonance when I encounter something that that contradicts what, what I believe. I'm sure that that does happen, of course. But if you have a closed meme of sorts, like, I don't know, you're a runner and you think resistance training is pointless or you're someone who uh, just loves lifting weights and thinks that cardio is for idiots, or you know, you're know, you a carnivore and you think vegans are dumb, you think planks are bad for you, or you're a vegan and you think dairy is just absolutely the worst thing you could consume, then anytime you can you encounter information that counters any one of those beliefs, you're forced to block that out, you're forced to experience the cognitive dissonance, the anxiety inside, and you find some way of rationalizing your, your previous worldview. And I would say that, even if you are correct, I would rather be slightly incorrect and have gone, gone through it, through that kind of open-ended process than to be correct just by chance and still to be in that fixed position. Uh, I don't know if you'd agree with that, but that's the way I kind of think about these things.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's extremely important, that open-ended process. And I think, because the thing is, we, we all have preferences and we need beliefs. Yes. Like beliefs in and of themselves aren't bad because we need to have, we need to come to some sort of conclusion to decide how to act, right? Like you, even if they're tentative beliefs or, you know, approximate beliefs, like they still... We need them in order to make decisions about the world. But the issue comes from not holding a belief, but holding it too tightly yeah. and not seeing um, the room for other beliefs as well. For for example, like I have my own preferred way of eating, but I also don't look down upon other ways of eating. You know, it's not like it's my way or the only way, and this is the best way. And I'm open to changing that. So, something that I've actually been thinking about recently is, um, I, I'm sure there was a time in my life where I laughed at veganism, and yeah. um, I certainly have no intentions of, you know, becoming full vegan, or I would never call myself that. But I have recently been questioning my decision to eat meat purely out of convenience because that's kind of what I do. I just go to the supermarket, I would pick up um, meat or animal products just because they're convenient. And I'm, that is habitual for me. And then I was thinking about, well, if why do I care so much about human life if I don't really care about animal life? Like, how is that really something that I can reconcile? Like, what what's the reason for that? And I would used to be like, oh, well, you know, eating meat is natural. That's what um, animals do. And it's like, yeah, well, animals do a lot of things that we probably wouldn't do either. So is that really a, a good, you know, and when you keep like breaking it down and, and thinking about all these things, I'm like, huh. I don't really have a good reason to be eating meat purely out of convenience and habit when there's this question about whether or not causing unnecessary suffering is a good or bad thing. Like, I don't know how I feel about that question. And I don't need to necessarily have an answer yet in order to think that potentially just picking up meat out of convenience when there are suitable alternatives um, that are, you know, equivalent why would I then do that? So, like, that's just something that I've been thinking about recently. And since being in Portugal, I haven't bought any meat um, from the supermarket. I'll still eat out and eat, you know, what I want off the menu, which includes animal products. Um, but I've been eating seitan since I'm here. And I'm like, that was a really easy swap for me to make. And I haven't really had to think about going vegan because, again, it's not, I, I still eat dairy. It's not necessarily something that I'm considering changing yet. But that's just one belief that I've now changed. It's like, oh, I probably. Sh- don't have a good reason to be buying me out of habit when I can literally just pick up the satan. and that doesn't i like, now don't have to you know think too deeply about the question of whether or not I agree with unnecessary suffering or whether I'm causing unnecessary suffering because that was one just simple way for me to be like oh, okay let's just change this this one thing that I'm doing so holding your beliefs tentatively I think is really crucial and making space for other people and and their beliefs so not as we've touched on not laughing at someone else for doing something differently to you and being open to changing your mind and then also understanding why are we so hesitant to do that and i think it is because these beliefs provide some sense of certainty um and uh, maybe even a sense of identity like this is the way that i eat this is the way that i train i am a bodybuilder i am a powerlifter um like what is that doing for you and is that really good and adaptive long term so being very fluid and understanding that everything is a process and it you know I think that's that's really crucial and as you said like philosophy science these are all open-ended pursuits so we should then be equally Um, open-ended in our own pursuits about the way that we live but also holding these beliefs tentatively like again it's okay to have them we need them they serve a a purpose but then being able to adapt and then I guess self-manage as well all ties in together so just I think really thinking about your own framework of thinking but it's very disconcerting when you think about how easily swayed and influenced we are and how much we like to tell ourselves we operate out of pure will and intention when actually a lot of our decisions are probably operating outside of our unconscious awareness or at least the factors influencing our decisions are Um, and if we don't stop to think about you know why why when i scroll down my social media feed do i see these things like what is that feeding me what am i not seeing because the algorithm has figured out what i like and it's excluded things that would be um you know would not reconcile or would not be congruent with my my beliefs so what does that mean what am i missing and taking that understanding again to to see you think about how you relate to other people. And this feeds back to, to health. So you've touched on some examples, but also, why do we assume that it's a personal responsibility in the case of say obesity, when actually, obesity nowadays is, a, is a primarily a result of poverty. So how can we look upon these people and criticise their food choices when it's maybe a um, structural issue? And again, we like to think that personal responsibility is the answer, but if that's not the the cause of it, then it's not going to be the solution either. Um, So just thinking like broadly about these things, I think is really crucial, just understanding how easily influenced we are, which again, comes back to asking these questions. Like we need to find ways of, breaking that well not necessarily breaking the chain of influence because some of these things are are, aren't preventable but I think just taking the time to stop and ask these questions you can at least reorient yourself when you are influenced and understanding why you're behaving in the way that you're doing you know whether you are and how that relates to how you um, think about other people I think that's really really crucial too
0: yeah, and, and both of those areas that you mentioned have actually been like significant sources of me like re questioning my own beliefs. Like for example, in the in the vegan context, um, I think like there's actually like if you if you if you wrestle with the best arguments, um, not the worst arguments, the best arguments out there um, for things like uh, animal rights and um, the 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 non inferiority um, of plant based diets, etc. I think you'll actually find that even if you're someone who is a very strong uh, meat eater, that you'll be able to respect a lot of the beliefs that those individuals um, have. And 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 to be honest, like I've I've listened to a lot of um, a lot of debates from a guy called. Uh, his his, I don't know his second name, he's Isaac, Ask he's Ask Yourself on YouTube and he's big into like uh, philosophy and et- ethics and, and metaphysics, etc. Um, he, he basically just tears people apart in these, these debates because he creates like these logical trees. And like, it's just like, it's just very mathematical the way he does arguments. And he, he has this kind of uh, this, this phrase that he uses, which is name the trait, you know, name the trait that um, if, if true, uh, that does it name the trait that um that is true of animals that if true of humans would justify killing them and eating them and it's actually a really strong argument which um which very few people actually actually uh, come around to, to arguing well like he asks it to to sam harris live it's actually really funny to watch because sam harris is just tripping all over his words <laughs> and I, I would rather in that position to have just said yeah i'm not sure uh, but but i still eat meat you know uh, but anyway that's not the purpose of, of this discussion the other thing you mentioned was the the personal res- responsibility um discussion which i think is an interesting one because i actually think that there while i'm, I'm actually I, I think that there's some people who sit too far on the other side of the spectrum on this as well uh, which i think is important because if you look at some areas of social media um you will see people who basically remove all um, personal responsibility to the point where I believe it almost denigrates the person's autonomy, which I think is a, 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 something worth considering from a medical ethics perspective, because I've seen certain doctors who will say that you know they, they never recommend or discuss weight loss because of the statistics related to the success of dieting, for example, um, which is interesting because it is... It is a dilemma where, well, you still have to present the potential for success of the intervention um, for it to be ethical um, for the person's autonomy so they can make the decisions. And if it doesn't work, they were still able to make the decision. So I think that's that's kind of a back and forth you could have. But it is something that's, that's worth considering for people is the fact that like has Has personal responsibility or motivation just massively declined in the last fifty years like no yeah. it, it, it clearly hasn 't like there have been other changes that have occurred in the environment, and like responsibility um, for your behaviors and or let 's say the intention or the free will to make those decisions is that a mediator of whether or not you are obese in the current environment Of course it is but is it likely that you're going to be able to intervene with a personal responsibility intervention on a public health level to solve these problems? Absolutely not. You know, so while you as an individual and I as an individual have the freedom um, and to, to make decisions and have the ability to take responsibility um, for my diet, I recognize that, in certain changes in the environment, in my economic circumstances, in food availability, um, in access to buses to take me to the shop, to public transport, etc., that all of these things are very strong mediators of, he, he, you could say even my willingness to partake in those health behaviors, but in general, as an outcome, the health that will come from that um, and it's not just it's not just obesity either you also see this in like i think it's 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 really worth people understanding that all the all these domains are, like it's it's beyond obesity it's also things like um, osteoporosis for example an example of that would be if you're an elderly individual let's say and you have low social support Um, and you happen to um, be, you know, you're not very well off economically, you don't have the means to uh, pay for, uh, I don't know, meals on wheel service meals to be ordered into you. And you don't really have much of a family around for you, then as a result, you could actually accelerate the process of osteoporosis, because you don't really have the uh, mobility to cook for yourself or the desire to cook for yourself anymore, because it's a real difficult task, you don't have the money to pay for the meals, you mightn't be able to pay for the ingredients or the supplements that might prevent osteoporosis in someone like yourself. Um, and because you don't have access to public transport, you can't get to the shop, you don't drive, you can't afford a car. um, you don't have people in your you don't have things in your community to take you outside the home because you live in an area of low socioeconomic status there's not many things for you to be able to do and as a result you have poor levels of activity you've got poor nutritional status that have been influenced by all of these different variables that result in you over the years having uh, worsening osteoporosis and then potentially something like a, a hip fracture uh, which could be tied back again to your financial security the people in your life all of these different variables that we definitely, definitely miss if we just think of health as as these very rigid kind of uh, physical elements, you could say.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. Like you just highlighted just how many factors do influence it and how many variables there are. So I think just understanding that health is far more complex and probably what we even understand now you know it's not like we we know how everything works but just understanding that there are a number of factors that influence our health and again it's not about like maximizing all of these things at once or anything like that but just having a clear idea on what it is that influences your life and then how you go about living that life in order to secure health and what really health means to you and also what purpose it's serving for you and why you can care in the first place I think those are kind of like the the key things that we're trying to to highlight in this conversation and um, again understanding that not everyone is entirely or we're we're not all responsible for everything that happens to us like there are things that we can influence and things that we can't Um, and understanding that I think is an important part of relating to other people and the way that we again hold these beliefs towards others like why do we like to believe these things that are tr- you know that we think are true to us like what does that mean for us so i think that's probably the the main thing that we want to highlight with all of this i think that what we're getting at here is health is far more complex we can't reduce it to simple things like macros and, and body weight or whatever it is um and also what what purposes is trying to serve for you and although it's an important part of your life it's probably not your your whole life so asking yourself these questions now and, and continuously asking yourself these questions as well because these things change like what's important to you now may not be important to you at some point in the future um, these are all thing practices that I think we should engage in to help move us towards the direction of improving our health and the way that we kind of live it, it, you know, our lives day to day and um, relate to other people I think that's kind of the, the whole point of this conversation here
0: yeah and, and I think to kind of round out the discussion I think one final thing that I that came up there or, or as, as you were just dis- as you were discussing and I was thinking was the fact that if you keep if we make like health and healthism, this like perfect ideal, then one of the things that can emerge from that is an element of shame or guilt for not being perfectly healthy. And this is actually one of the things I worry about a lot, um, because e- e- like you see this in different um Different, Like, again, going back to the poor carnivores, sorry for bullying the carnivore so much, but in the carnivore diet community, you have, you have this kind of culture of shaming people for taking things like statins, for example, if they've been prescribed a, a, a drug to lower their cholesterol or modify some other, let's say, their blood pressure or something. And I, while I think it's it's positive to celebrate someone maybe not needing medical intervention because they've managed it otherwise... I think we do run the risk if we put like this health on the pedestal of making making people feel like they have failed if they have some sort of condition. And you see this manifest a lot of the times with like autoimmune disease, for example, people feel like there has to be some sort of way that they can solve this through diet because like... The, the pure state of human existence is perfect health. You know, that's what we're putting on the pedestal. So, you know, it's, it's understandable that people would feel shamed or feel guilty if something does go wrong with their health. And I think one of the things that emerges when you begin to study medicine or the area of healthcare generally is that, anything can go wrong. (laughs) It's actually amazing that we're even able to have these conversations and to talk about something like health because of the amount of things that can potentially go wrong in every single cell, in every single organ system. And that, you know, it's, it's, it's fine for someone to be in a state of ill health. I don't mean fine as in desirable, but I mean that, you know, you haven't done anything wrong. You're not a bad person because, Hey, your LDL cholesterol is elevated and you need to take a medication. There's no shame in that, you know, um, is that something I I suppose just to add to that, another element then would obviously be the domain of mental health, for example, that, you know, shame and guilt surrounding the need for intervention, because I've, I've had some clients, um, struggling with depression who have actually had great outcomes from, um, medication and cognitive behavioral therapy and, you know, seeing professionals and they almost feel at times, like it's a failure if they have to go back for intervention rather than being able to, you know, just do it through diet or do it through exercise. So Is that something you've seen emerge like in the, in your everyday life or in your coaching practice specifically?
1: Yeah, 100%. Like I work with a number of people who feel ashamed of where they're at, you know, like how the, you know, the state of their physical health or whatever it is, um, thinking like they're not good enough because they haven't been able to achieve the same things that someone else has been able to achieve i think we should be really careful ourselves um if you know if you find yourself looking down on someone because they're not as healthy as you or however you judge that um or they can't achieve the same things as you can in your training or whatever why are we deriving so much of our self-esteem for from our ability to stay healthy or t- to improve our health like why are we getting you know our sense of as i say self-esteem from that because i think that kind of relates to how you then judge other people oh well they're not good enough because they have they can't control this aspect of their health but why does that make you a good person if you can do that because what we're doing is stigmatizing um these struggles that people face and the the issue is that we don't really understand the complexity of the struggle or how they ended up in that circumstance and the the funny thing is that if you had lived their life and were brought up in the same environment and had the exact same influences and experiences that they had then you'd probably be exactly the same (laughs) so we like to think that oh you know i've achieved this great thing by being able to manage my health but like yeah sure for you in your current environment like That was something that you pursued and you had these certain opportunities. And obviously, although it does take work and, you know, we like to pride ourselves on that, I think we tend to discount the the role of these other influences. And then that lends us to towards um, judging other people for not being good enough for achieving the same things, even though we can't quantify exactly how these influences have impacted the behaviors that someone engages in you know if we're going to play this game of who who's better than the other person then we need to have a very good way of judging all these separate things and you know computing that and that's beyond our um cognitive abilities that we can't weigh up all of these things to determine who who's got the stronger will than the other person or whatever it is so we should be very careful about where we derive our self-esteem from and how that relates to how we judge other people and then um, opening up the floor for people to be able to talk about these things as we say and and creating that safe environment is really important to help someone actually you know they've realized that this is something that they want to work on then they need to have suitable um, opportunities and capabilities in order to improve that like um, if you look at the the Com-B model of behaviour, motivation is one component of that, and the other part is capability and opportunity. And if people don't have those things, then it's going to be very difficult to change their behaviours. So um, we, I don't, it doesn't make any sense when you understand it from that perspective to to judge people for not being. achieving these same things because we don't all have the same capabilities the same opportunities and there are different things that influence that so yeah and I think that all does derive from a lot a lot of the time from us wanting to get a sense of self-esteem from our capability to, to manage these things like that's what makes me feel good about myself so therefore I can judge someone else for not being able to achieve the same thing but are we judging them because that really is an accurate you know um calculation of of their their will and their value system you know we've actually decided that health is something that's valuable which is why we determined that we can judge other people based on that um which is you know you can question that to begin with but also as i say how are you actually calculating these things and um if it's just usually it's because that belief is serving a, a function for us and that's making us feel good about ourselves um i think we can question that too so yeah just to, to bring it back around to understand that, there are a number of influences not everyone has the same amount of control over these things everyone's subjected to different things um and i think that understanding is really what gives us empathy towards other people which isn't it's not an excuse which i think is a common misconception it's actually just a greater understanding of how complex this is just <laughs> how complex like life is in general and behavior and motivation Um, and opportunities so I think all of that um, just comes back around so yeah it it doesn't make any sense to to um, be able to judge people on that and there definitely is a huge sense of shame and guilt and I think if you're working with someone who feels that way or even if you feel that way yourself I think it's just it helps to understand um, really how complex it all is Um, so yeah that's probably (laughs) a little ramble there but just some thoughts that come to mind
0: yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting when you reflect on the, the kind of fitness industry and particularly the side that maybe swings more towards the kind of functional medicine side of things, because what ends up happening is you actually take the worst of both worlds where you, you, you incentivize the over-medicalization of everyday life. So you incentivize more things coming under the bracket of diagnosis or ill health. Um, so you make health something that's really difficult to achieve. But what you also do is you disincentivize appropriate intervention and appropriate diagnosis of those problems in the first place, which is almost a recipe for guaranteed suffering. Because what you've done is you've said that health is up here and something that's like really, really difficult to achieve. Um, All these different things can go wrong. Like, for example, over-medicalizing, like having a bit of back pain every now and then, or things like posture like oh your posture isn't perfect we need to fix all of that you know or the feeling of uh, fatigue every now and then or you know your mood being a little bit low every now and then you know all these things are kind of part of the normal human experience and very often what you'll have is that people will kind of just just prey on that a little bit by saying that you know these things can be fixed with um, these supplements or um, this dietary intervention or um, this uh, special daily routine or whatever. But it actually disincentivizes any sort of proper treatment for actual medical problems. So if you're if you're let's say have if you do have fatigue, let's say, and you you've been um, assessed by a functional medicine practitioner who prescribes supplements and I don't know gives you these uh, explanations related to methylation etc. Um, and they never actually refer you anywhere for proper fatigue assessment, if that is a genuine uh, medical complaint, then you could be, you know, missing a diagnosis of something like cancer. And no, I'm not saying that if you feel fatigued every now and then that you should be worried about cancer, but these things do happen. So it is a really interesting dilemma where you take the worst of both worlds, where you incentivize um, the over of everyday life and disincentivize someone actually being treated properly for those problems. Um, and yeah, I just don't think that's a, a good way to to run um an approach towards uh, better health and well-being
1: yeah we do the exact same thing with weight management as well like someone who we perceive to be overweight and they must lose weight in order to be healthy well potentially it's not a case of just oh they just need to eat less and move more which is you know the, the general or the common um, rhetoric there what if we're assuming again we're missing the bigger picture and it could be a case of you know they've experienced trauma and that's why they they struggle to um reduce their food intake because they they eat in order to you know um get rid of these strong emotions that they're feeling so we're trying to slap a diet on top of that which isn't solving the problem or getting to the root of the problem so i think it's you know we see these things all the time
0: yeah. And, and also I think that in that context as well, you could say that very often, again, you're setting the bar unreasonably high by someone who like, if they're try- if you're trying to lose weight, like when you see the outcomes of, of weight loss studies that are successful, what you see is that like five to 10% of body weight can lead to fairly considerable improvements in health that would be meaningful clinically. Um, but very often I think like the, the goal in a lot of people's minds is yeah, you know, I'm hundred kilos. Um, my BMI is 36 or whatever. I need to get to 60 and be ripped and then I'll be happy and I'll be healthy. You know, that's, that's the target, which is again, just really making it very, very difficult for people to feel like they've accomplished something in terms of moving towards better health.
1: It's so frustrating to see that because it's so common.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, Sharon, we've tackled a lot of uh, difficult topics. We almost found the, the, uh, direction of the way that the planet should be going for the rest of the future and how to fill our God-shaped holes. But hopefully people um, took something out of this conversation. One final question for you. Um, You got a new tattoo yesterday, I believe. What's, What's the meaning behind the tattoo?
1: yes so um I got a, a a small tattoo on my forearm and um, it's one that I wanted when I was in Krakow so what it is it's just a, a floral design um on my forearm and the reason that I wanted to get this tattoo is because whilst I was in Krakow I spent a lot of time um I guess you could say like meditating on death because I went to the um, concentration camps I went to Auschwitz and Birkenau um they they have the Gestapo Museum there, Schindler's Factory, so obviously trying to trying to understand what it is that that happened and just the the gravity of the situation which I really don't think even having like read all about it um and and been to these places and like stepped in the places where these um things occurred I still don't think I will ever really understand what what happened and you know what these people went through or even how we got to that stage um so I I see a lot of value in like meditating on death and, and the point of that and like the benefits that that can can bring but I then had this moment where I was walking around the botanical gardens and um, just like unexpectedly just stumbled across them and was just like wandering around and and yeah thinking about all the things that had happened and just like what that means to, for human nature given that you know this again I don't think these people were uniquely evil in any way or not not um, a lot of them anyway um yeah just thinking about like death and human nature and then I just just noticed I like, was just looking at the flowers and just noticed like just how beautiful they were and um I had stumbled across a quote and it it's something along the lines of um, everything has its beauty but not everyone sees it and I was like yeah like that's that's so true like yeah we get caught up in like these tiny things and we don't stop to to notice like just how good we have it and i think we can complement you know the meditation meditating on our own death with uh, meditating on life as well because the thing is like we can attempt to think about what it feel what that what death means you know what what that really um would be or what that would mean to, to our to the way that we live our lives the fact that we're we're not here for very long we're all going to die at some point um know yeah, that should that does have these huge implications for the way that we behave but we we don't know we can't really truly understand that because we won't experience death until it happens and then we probably that, then that's it right so these are just like this we're very limited by our own um cognitive abilities when it comes to meditating on death whereas it, meditating on life like so we've all experienced what it feels like to truly um live in the moment like these if you think about the best experiences of your life that can evoke some kind of felt understanding as well not just like this cognitive process that we go through for meditating on death like you may have had what close relatives die or you know friends die and you can I guess there'd be a stronger impact there but for someone like myself who's like never really experienced that Mm -hmm. yeah I can go to these places look at you know Mm -hmm. and understand or try to understand like what's happened but I'm still going to be limited by my own ability to to think about these things whereas life is something that I have experienced and I've had those moments that have been like really fulfilling really rewarding and meaningful so I think complementing the meditations on death with meditating on life as well I think is even more powerful so yeah I just wanted to get a tattoo of um, just, just a, a floral design based on the photos that I was taking um, in the botanical gardens to remind myself of like the beauty of life as well. Because yeah, we know what we're trying to avoid, but we also need something to move towards. And I should send you this paper. Actually, it's um, I've read a paper on the psychology of um, existential risks. Why lay people um, aren't as concerned as we think we should be about. Um, you know, catastrophic events ending the world. And part of they they found that most people believe that near extinction is almost as bad as complete extinction. Whereas if you were thinking about it logically, surely complete extinction would be the clear worst case um, scenario because there's no prospect of future life you know, 80% extinction, yeah, pretty bad, a lot of people are dying, but you could um, restart civilization, you know, if some people are still alive, versus 100% complete extinction, everyone's dead, there's nothing left, that should be the worst case scenario when probed further people do come to that conclusion that complete extinction would be the worst case scenario when they're prompted to think about long-term consequences but also when the salience of the significance of that event is increased so thinking about um how good life would be in the future with all these increasing prospects that we have the potential that we have as humanity which is getting better and better but we're just combining that with increased risk of shit going wrong as well (laughs) which is like the situation that we're, we're in um so you need some of that um optimism that like pinker brings you know that that actually would increase our concern for existential risk so i think that just it's probably a bit of a confirmation bias given that i just got this tattoo i'm like yes that makes a lot of sense like when people genuinely see the benefits and the the long-term potential that we have then we suddenly care more about what we're doing right now um, and how that can you know bring us closer towards achieving that potential or just ruining it for everyone um, so I think that was yeah, a very long answer, but that's kind of the <laughs> I got. And there's just things that I've been thinking about recently. I think meditating on death, very useful, but I think having that optimism for the future and really um valuing life is is important too.
0: Yeah, I kind of swing back and forth hourly <laughs> on those two thoughts. Like one is like uh just being like, yep. Uh, i'm gonna die none of this matters we're all going to die the sun is going, to, en-
1: <laughs> the sun is
0: going to engulf the earth this is all just pointless <laughs> and then the other side it's like oh man we have so much potential for progress look at all the things that could potentially happen you know we can we can avert these crises etc um so yeah that's just an hourly uh, back and forth thing uh, but there you go uh, <laughs> as i said i think we've tackled a lot of difficult problems in this conversation really really enjoyed it um and maybe have you again some time to to discuss more of of the world's problems but in the meantime um, I know you're doing a lot with the comprehensive coaching and you've had the bridging with the gap series etc but do you want to point people towards some of your work where they can find out more
1: yeah, sure. So um, if you want to learn more about like the comprehensive coaching techniques that, that we use and the, the kind of approach that we take, again, to relating it back to the concept of flourishing health, how we can help people determine that for themselves, um, then keep up to date with things that the Gab- Gabrielle and I are doing. So we have a comprehensive coaching community, which is our Facebook group to discuss these things um there will likely be another webinar series um, sometime next year so probably the best place to keep up to date with that would just be um either of our instagram accounts um so you can find me at ShannonBeer underscore um i also began offering mentorships because people were asking for those so that's something that i do now um and yeah just seeing seeing what happens next year where all this goes i think um, that would be the best place. oh and the other place would be just be my um website as well which is shannon lbeer.com I believe I don't yeah. know that and you can find things like um the articles but also my reading list so um if you're a big reader then I have a lot of recommendations there um yeah that's probably oh and I've recently started doing a podcast as well I guess you could call it that so <laughs> just loads of places to find me but um most of it is all um, on my Instagram as well so it's probably the best place
0: fantastic yeah i think you you wrote you wrote an article titled what does it mean to be healthy not so long ago um, and it covers a lot of the things that we discussed um, in this podcast along with links to some of the articles uh, that we mentioned uh, so yeah i recommend that people check that out and also definitely check out shannon's reading lists because it's excellent and covers a lot of the Kind of the the types of topics that I think are are definitely worth considering for people working in the health space, um, like related to philosophy and religion, etc. That very often don't get discussed. And if you found this conversation interesting, then there's undoubtedly lots of books on there to to take you further. So, to everyone that listened this far, thank you very much, and thank you very much, Shannon, for being here. And hopefully, we'll speak to you again soon.